Welcome to another podcast from Basic Scotland. These are a series of brief snapshots about less talked about topics within pre-hospital care in Scotland and some deep dives into some more specialist areas with experts from a variety of disciplines. My name's Dave. I'm an army surgical trainee, a basics responder and a mountain rescue doctor based in Pitlochry. So today joining me, we've got Lucy Powells. Lucy's been a midwife since 1984. She's worked all over the UK, but in 2017 joined the Scottish Multiprofessional Maternity Development Programme um, and is now their educational lead. And she's here to talk to us about normal birth and neonatal resuscitation. Lucy, thanks so much for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me, Dave. I guess first off, confession time. When it got to my maternity block in medical school, I definitely spent a lot more time doing C-sections than getting involved in normal birth. Okay. And I ended up as a surgeon, so it was probably time well yeah, spent. Yeah, fair enough. I'm a complete novice at this, and the thought terrified me. Okay. So, talk me through how to approach this. Okay. Well, I think, first of all, it is important to remember that birth, on the whole, is a normal physiological process most of the time. And I think... I'd be right in thinking that most of your listeners, most of the unexpected births you're likely to come across will happen without the need for any interference except for reassurance and providing privacy and dignity for the woman wherever possible. I think most women will be able to give some basic information on their pregnancy, so it may be useful to ask to see their pregnancy record. And most women now carry their pregnancy information actually on an app on their phone. And this is because most maternity units use a system called BadgerNet for maternity records. But there are still some that may have carry paper copies. But you particularly want to know, obviously, what gestation this baby is. So you know whether you're expecting a term or a a preterm baby when the time comes. I just wanted to just talk a little bit about the mechanisms of labour. So labour is divided into three stages. So you have the first stage and this is where the contractions start and they principally dilate and efface the cervix, which needs to actually get to 10 centimetres before the baby can be born. And then you have the second stage of labour and this is where the cervix is fully dilated, 10 centimetres, to the birth of the baby. And then we have the third stage of labour and that's the birth of the baby to the delivery of the placenta. I suppose just to say as well that the decision to transfer can be tricky as I'm not assuming where we are or where your listeners are at the time of this. So it could be anywhere in the community setting. So no two women or labours, unfortunately, are the same. Uh, Women having their first baby tend to have longer first stages than women having their second or third baby. But this is unfortunately, you know, there is no absolute with this. However, there are some obvious signs that a woman is approaching second stage. Definitely contractions become more powerful and expulsive in nature. Uh, She may say she needs to open her bowels and this can actually, obviously this can be true, but it's often due to the fact that the baby's head is pressing on the bowel. And I think what we need to do in that situation is kind of reassure the woman that it's her baby's head that's, that's coming. Yes, she may be opening her bowels, but it's probably not is important. It's kind of more important to reassure that this is just the baby's head and she'll have a strong urge to push. She may or may not have ruptured her her membranes or waters may have gone. A lot of the trouble lines we get are often sort of prem first time mums who have been building up to this for nine months and it's all exciting slash scary. 
and the first rumble of anything, they hit 999. And I understand there's a fair few false starts. Yes, yes. I mean, Labour, you can have, we call them Braxton Hicks, building up to Labour so you can get pretend Labour contractions that can be quite uncomfortable and, and even painful for women, but they're not actually in the active stage of labour. And again, as I said, it's, it's one of these things, it's very tricky, particularly over the phone, to kind of decide whether somebody is in actual active labour or not. Are there any kind of sign pointers for us? There have been basic calls to folk in taxis at the side of roads, folk in the back of helicopters. Is there anything that can kind of point us towards this being a, an imminent thing? Well, yes, I think, you know, as I said, certainly second stage does change how the woman feels and her contractions uh, should become more powerful and expulsive in nature. And she certainly wants to put, you know, bear down to push. And again, the most obvious sign is take a look, ask her if it's okay to have a look to see if her baby is in fact coming. And you can then see that the head is visible. Or if this is over the phone, then if she's got somebody with her, they can obviously do that. Okay, so we've established that we've got good going second stage yes. labour. What can I do? Because it seems to be a lot of kind of standing around and letting nature to yeah. take its course. Is there anything that I should be doing? Well, I think um, I have to say, and, and I know this is going to be easier said than done, but it's really important to try and keep yourself calm and to reassure the woman that everything is going fine and that she's going to have her baby very soon. We have to remember that for her, this, you know, she's been building up to this exciting life event and you, Trying to keep her calm and reassured is, is your main aim. I appreciate, though, that you may not feel very calm, just to remember that she doesn't need to know whether you've helped with the birth before, because just being reassuring and kind is enough at this point. I'm sure that will that will go down well. In terms of uh, of analgesia, do all pregnancies or do, do all deliveries require analgesia? Um, not necessarily. Again, it does vary between women and the speed at which they labour. But we do know that some of your listeners will have access to Entenox, which is fine to give. The only thing I would say about Entenox is if she is actually in the second stage of labour and actively pushing and you can see the head, it's probably not very useful at that point because you want her to kind of focus on on the baby being born and to pushing the baby rather than being kind of a little bit out of it with the Entenox. So although it sounds a bit cruel, it's probably not the best time to give Entenox at that particular moment. What is very important though is to actually prepare for the birth of the baby. So you want to try and ensure that your surroundings are as warm as possible. There's no drafts, open windows. If this is happening in the back of uh, an ambulance, then if it's possible to have the heater on and the, the window between yourself and the, the driver closed. And also, if at all possible, have access to warm, dry towels and a hat. Very important to have a hat ready for the baby. It's something that seems to crop up on, on every kind of 1930s period drama. So hot water and towels seems to be the... the yes, but the warm towels, warm dry towels is actually extremely important for keeping the baby warm. And I'll talk a bit about that in a minute. But I just wanted to say, you know, about the way the birth will go. Once the head is actually visible, so it may advance as the woman has a contraction, but it's important to let people know that it will actually draw back again. So it may completely disappear. But the important thing here is not to get distracted as the head will at some point advance and not go back. So you could turn your back and your baby could appear. And the other thing to point out is that once the baby's head is born, you have a few minutes while it actually turns itself. So the baby will turn its own head towards either of the woman's thighs. This is called restitution. And if you've never come across it before, it can look a little alien-like. 
<laughs> but the purpose of this is the head is turning. As the head is turning, the shoulders are rotating themselves internally so that they're actually in a position which is easier for the baby to be born. Then with the next contraction, this is where you can actually apply you apply your hands. You, we tend to say kind of over either ear side of the head and apply gentle downward traction with the woman's next contraction. And then what happens is the anterior shoulder will be born. And at that point, you can gently kind of turn the baby, lift the baby up onto the woman's abdomen. And then it's very important that you thoroughly dry this baby with your warm towels, pop the hat on. And what we do say is to encourage skin to skin with with the mum. Am I right in saying that drying the baby is kind of almost the first stage of neonatal Yes, research? in fact, quite often that initial stimulation with with the towels will bring the baby round and it'll take that gasp and, and then start crying. And with a term baby, you can be quite vigorous with stimulation. So it's quite a good idea, yeah, to do that. You can do that while the baby is out on the mum's abdomen, you know, give it a good old rub. And then very importantly, take away that wet towel and replace it with a, with a dry one. And hat on straight away. Yes, yes. You've got to remember that wet, naked babies actually become hypothermic very quickly. They've got a large surface area to weight ratio and their head, obviously, as well as quite, quite a big area that loses heat quite quickly. So that hat is all important. The other thing to say is that, that there's no urgency to do anything with the umbilical cord in most cases. I don't know if this is something that has cropped up. Yeah, it's certainly the odd bit that's left over. The temptation to do something with yep, it, tidy it up, yep. put it away. Um, <laughs> certainly in the past, there was always this tendency to feel rushed to clamp and cut the cord. But we now know that delaying this even by a few minutes is actually quite beneficial to the baby. In fact, if both mother and baby are well, you can leave the cords indefinitely. When we run our courses, we tend to tell people about the fact that there are some women, it's, it is a minority, but there are a small number of women who actually do not, wish the cord to be clamped and cut at all and they carry it around with the placenta still attached to the baby for until it drops off itself. As I said, that's not the majority, but it's just to emphasise the point that you can leave the cord alone completely, especially if you don't have any clean, appropriate instruments to actually cut it with. And I'm all right in thinking that the reason for leaving it attached is a reasonable blood volume within the cord that the baby can then approve. Yes, so you increase the, the blood cells, they get better iron stores and it increases the number of antibodies that they get from the mother as well. So all in all, it's it's recommended now in all our practice to delay the clamping and cutting of the cord wherever possible. Okay, so we've got to the stage where new baby is lying on mum's tummy. We've cleaned, we've dried, we've applied a hat. And what do I do if the, the baby's not doing a huge amount? Most babies, once they're born, take a gasp and clear their own airway and resuscitate themselves. And again, as we've just said, you know, in those cases, you just need to dry them off and keep them warm and give them skin to skin to mum. But however, some babies don't resuscitate themselves, so you will need to do this for them. You and your, your listeners will know that in adult collapse, the primary cause is usually cardiac in origin, but in newborn babies, it's, it's usually respiratory. So jumping in and doing CPR is not appropriate in, in newborn babies. The lungs are usually unexpanded and have about 100 mils of fluid in them. And as I said, normally they would take that gasp when they first born and they'd cry and they'd expand their lungs and that fluid would get absorbed. But if this doesn't happen, you need to do an initial assessment. You need to look at the baby's colour. This is a good indication. Is it pinking up? Usually they're pink with a bit of blue peripheries. Is it 
blue or is it white? And the white baby's not good news. Tone, most healthy babies are quite vigorous and have good tone, but a sicker baby will be quite floppy. Is there spontaneous respiration? So breathing and then the heart rate. And with the heart rate, you want to assess, is it there? And is it above or below 100? A normal newborn baby's heart rate will actually be about 120 to 150 beats per minute. But you want to assess just briefly, is it there? And does it sound above 100 beats? So broadly speaking, is it faster than mine? Yeah. Or about the same <laughs> yes, mine? at that point. Yes, yes. <laughs> so once you've done your initial colour tone breathing heart rate, you want to check the airway. And I again want to stress that usually in a newborn baby, it's loss of pharyngeal tone rather than obstruction. We no longer routinely suction babies out. We used to suck babies out before they'd even, once the head was just there at the perineum. But we now know that that does more harm than good. And if we do do any suction, we use a wide bore catheter and not a thin bore. So it's position, not suction. So you want to put your baby, and I suppose I should have said that if you feel that this baby needs a bit more help, then it's acceptable then to clamp and cut the cord because you'll probably want to take the baby over to another surface in order to carry out further resuscitation. Okay, can we just briefly look at yes. clamping and cutting cord? In terms of logistics, certainly in the basics bags, there are the little two blue plastic yes. clamps and then just tough cut scissors, whereabouts on the cord? Yes, so um, again, don't get too het up about where you clamping and cutting too near to the, the baby itself. So you can clamp and cut anywhere on that cord. And in fact, the longer you leave the cord, the better, particularly if the baby does then develop problems and needs further investigations, lines, etc. Then they will actually use the umbilicus for lines and things and drugs. So it's easier to say to people to leave a reasonable length of cord because it can always be tidied up later by a midwife. <laughs> we clamp, we cut and then we move baby across. Yes, yes. A, a, a hard surface if possible. But yes, you know, making sure, always checking your environment and making sure you've got it as warm and draft free as possible. So you want to put the baby's head in a neutral position. We want to avoid over or under extending the baby's head. If you overextend, it can block its own airway with its tongue. So a neutral position is just where it's a face looking up at the ceiling. And then you want to inflate this baby's lungs basically because it hasn't gasped and cried itself its lungs are still uninflated so you want to fit an appropriate size mask and give five inflation breaths with a 500 mil self-inflating bag which i believe will be carried by most people yeah certainly the new basics bags have got 500 mil little neonatal resus yep. bags in them so five inflation breaths are sustained breaths for two to three seconds I always like to think of this as like blowing up a balloon. So you, if you were to give short, sharp breaths when you're trying to blow up a balloon, you don't get anywhere because you just don't get the sides of the balloon to, to part. So the lungs, the newborn baby's lungs are a bit similar to that. So you want to give long kind of two to three seconds sustain breaths with your bag and mask for five. And then you reassess again. So you want to look and see, is your colour improved? Your tone improved? Is the baby breathing spontaneously? And what is the heart rate? But very importantly, did you see chest wall movement? Because if you've successfully inflated that baby's lungs, you should see chest wall movement and hopefully an increase in the heart rate. And it's useful to remember that 95% of babies will recover within a minute or two once air enters the lungs. We've got our baby off neutral position and we've given them five inflation breaths, long held breaths. 
and nothing changes. So, if it's because if you haven't seen chess wall movement, there is no point in going further down the resuscitation algorithm. So, you need to check the airway. So, you double check, is your head in neutral position? Have you got a good seal with your face mask? Because that can sometimes be problematic. And probably for the majority of your listeners to consider putting in a Goodell airway. And again, you need to size the Goodell airway prior to insertion. So it would be the middle of the mouth to the angle of the jaw. And then using the laryngoscope, you would insert the airway the same way as is expected to remain. Because I know in adults, you would put it in the other way and turn it. But with a newborn baby, you would damage the soft palate if you did that. So you just put it in the same way as is expected to remain. Am I right in thinking that the laryngoscope, we're not actually doing laryngoscopy, it's just... Yes, in fact, what we say to um, midwives when when we're teaching them how to use a laryngoscope is that just think of it as a light source on a stick and a tongue depressor is the easiest way to kind of describe it. Excellent. Yeah, I, I teach the same for adults. We're not, yeah, not that's great. That's like exactly them. what we say. And the other thing I was actually going to ask about was that we are now in hospital introducing the use of eye gels for newborns. And I know that this is used quite extensively in adult resuscitation. So it was just to kind of ask if this was something that you had access to, then inserting an eye gel would be something to consider at this point. So the ambulance service do have access to the terrifying size uh, <laughs> mini, mini eye gels. Um, but a lot of folks, if they've not updated their sandpiper bags, right. probably won't have them. But it's worth pointing out that if they pop down to their local station and have a chat with the crew, yes, they might be able to um, and we actually have got some teaching materials. I know that Helene has recently done some teaching for our actual instructors, so that could be accessed, I'm sure, for anybody that was wishing to have further teaching on inserting an eye gel into a newborn if it's required. Okay, so if we've hmm. got a patent airway, but still no yes. reparations. So again, if you have put in an airway, you need to repeat your five inflation breaths to ensure that you get chest wall movement. So again, you're doing your assessment again, you're doing your colour, tone, breathing, heart rate, and hopefully you will get chest wall movement at this point. And if that is the case, but the baby still isn't breathing spontaneously, then you need to do ventilation breaths. This is breaths one every two seconds for about 30 seconds. So we kind of say that that's about 15 breaths for most people, 30 seconds worth. And are you still doing long hold inflation type breaths or are these more like adult ventilation breaths inflating until the chest moves? Yes, no, this is not the sustained breaths anymore. This is the the shorter, sharper breaths, as you say, like the adult ventilation. So really one every two seconds for 30 seconds and not so prolonged. Okay. By this stage, all of the possible fingers and toes are yes. being crossed, yep. that, we're, that we're winning. But for the sake of completion, let's say that we're still not... Right. So anywhere. again, so you've done 30 seconds of ventilation breaths. Again, you'd repeat your assessment, your colour, tone, breathing, heart rate, and very importantly, chest wall movement. If your heart rate is fine, just that the baby is not spontaneously breathing at this point, then you just continue to ventilate. And in fact, babies, newborn babies can be successfully 
ventilated for considerable length of time for, for instance, for a transfer purposes and do really well. So it's just important to point that out. This is absolutely fine. They, they will do quite well once they get to a, a neonatal unit, then they can do further investigations and further support. But in that case, if the heart rate is fine, then just continue ventilating so you get somewhere. If However, your heart rate is below 60 when you do your assessment. You will have to consider chest compressions. Now, I want to say that the vast majority of babies do not need chest compressions, even within the neonatal units. It is very rare that a baby needs chest compressions because, as I said, it is mainly a respiratory problem with newborns. But for the sake of completion and going through the process of the neonatal resuscitation algorithm, if you feel that after 30 seconds of ventilation breast and that's very important as well because it could just be that you know you just need to kickstart the heart by getting some oxygenated blood to the to, from the lungs to the heart if after those 30 seconds worth of ventilation breaths you still got a heart rate that's 60 or below then you need to consider starting chest compressions and in order to do that you need to encircle the chest with both hands so that the fingers lie behind the baby and your thumbs are overlapping on the sternum just below the nipple line. And you're going to go for a third of the depth of the chest and it's a ratio of three compressions to one breath. And again, this is for 30 seconds. So everything in newborn resuscitation is in 30 second cycles. You want to move oxygenated blood from the lungs to the coronary arteries and this isn't far and it won't take long. So again, in most cases, 30 seconds worth of cardiac compressions will be enough. And when you reassess your colour, tone, breathing, heart rate, if your heart rate has come up above 60, you stop chest compressions, but just continue with ventilation breaths. That's a, a really useful kind of walk through the algorithm. What, I was going to say that we, um, again, it? we refer um, all our candidates on our courses to the Resuscitation Council UK newborn life support algorithm 2015 version am i right in saying that's on the, on yes. the resus app? yes it, in amongst the adult and pediatric yep, that's ones correct the, yep. neonatal one fantastic yes um, well anything I, I need to do with mum yes i, I was going to say we haven't really discussed the placenta so again as i said before unless there's no excessive bleeding and we can discuss a hemorrhage at a, a later date but then the placenta again doesn't need to be delivered unless the woman herself gets the urge to push again. So you might find it's possible. And again, this will depend on ambulance service policy and guidelines around about transfer. And I know that does vary, but it is possible for mother and baby to be transferred with both the placenta still undelivered and the cord still attached. But you might find that she does actually start to feel like pushing again and you can encourage her to actually push the placenta out. But what's very important is you don't try and pull on the cord at all to help. You might think you're helping, but in fact, you could inadvertently cause the uterus to, to come out Uterine inversion is an obstetric emergency, which you do not wish to get involved in. Sometimes, however, the, the placenta sometimes just kind of flops out, but sometimes the membranes maybe need a little twist at the end just to make sure they come out complete. Why we feel it's important that the placenta and membranes are complete is that if anything's left inside, then that can cause infection and can cause postpartum hemorrhage and can lead to sepsis. So it's important that you keep the placenta and put it in a container or a bag and take it or 
allow the midwife to have a have a check of it to make sure it's complete. One point that's been brought up to our attention is sometimes people put it in a bin, a sharp bin, for instance, or whatever that you can seal. And if we could ask people not to do that so that we can actually get at it to have a look at it, to examine it. That's where we are with the uh, placenta. Yes. So we've delivered baby, we've resuscitated baby, we've potentially dealt with the placenta or not been phased if the placenta decides to stay where it is for the moment. Anything thinking ahead, let's say we're up in rural Scotland or we're out on one of the islands and we're going to need to transfer mum and baby back to hospital. Anything we need to think Um, about? I suppose, again, you would have talked, would have phoned and talked to a maternity unit to one of the midwives from the area to get advice as to what to do. I mean, I suppose it depends where this happens, whether the woman stays put and the midwife comes to her to review her or whether she needs to go and be transferred to a maternity unit. Again, if all's well with both, then there's no rush. But as I said, keeping the baby warm is the most important part of this and reassuring the mum that she's delivered a, a nice healthy baby and all's well and you're just going to have to arrange for however that transfer I would presume possibly be a, an ambulance to take her somewhere for her to be looked after further. The other thing that crossed my mind back in the day we used to apply oxygen to everybody and everything without really thinking about it and now more and more we're giving less oxygen and using it a bit more judiciously am i right in saying that oxygen for newborns yes sorry and that, i should have pointed that out when i was i was saying that that all newborn resuscitation is started in air and there is no need to use oxygen you know if a baby's sicker some of the preterm babies once they get into hospital into the neonatal units then they may consider using oxygen but it has to be carefully used and they would put them on a saturation monitor to carefully monitor how much oxygen the babies were getting. So for most cases, no, I would say that you just need to resuscitate in air. If you were to put a saturation monitor on a newborn baby, their saturations are quite low at birth. You know, it doesn't come up till about five minutes birth. So you would probably get a bit of a fright and think, oh, I need to do something about that. But that's actually quite normal. Yeah. (laughs) Best just not to look. We've kind of deliberately not gone down the various rabbit holes of complex birth and problems around birth. And I know I'm going to get you and Helen to come and and chat to us in the future about dealing with hemorrhage, dealing with issues with birth. Is there anything else that we need to cover for the Um, the routine birth? I'm trying to think. I don't think so. I think really what I wanted to emphasise was that in the vast majority of cases, certainly women who suddenly find themselves, you know, caught out and in good going labour and not able to get to where they were intending to give birth, is that most are straightforward. And as I said, trying to keep yourself calm and then keep the woman reassured and preserving her dignity and privacy, if you can, is the main line there. And then once the baby's born, ensuring that this baby is kept warm and given to mum for skin to skin is the main point there. Well, you kind of half answered my question because we normally round these up by talking about three top tips. And I'm guessing... Those uh, yes, yes, indeed. Of, it's of it's the kind of, yeah, just the importance that in the vast majority of cases, birth is a normal process, trying to keep yourself calm and reassure the woman she's having her baby, albeit maybe not where she intended to, and that once the baby's born, yes, very, very importantly, dry this baby off and keep it warm. Lucy, thanks so much for, for walking us through that. I'm not sure I feel <laughs> as I'm ready to do it yet. But. Oh, well. <laughs> That's it for this week. 
If you have any comments or questions, visit the podcasters page and leave us a reply in the box at the bottom. Join us next week for another podcast from Basic Scotland. Thank you.